Thank you, Kathleen, and whatever you guys call yourselves. <sighs> While they're being seated, Master Aaron, happy belated birthday to you, sir, celebrating 10 years, double digits now. Nice. They had a jumping party at Sky Zone yesterday, and my daughters were there. I'm sorry I couldn't make it. I was preparing for yesterday's uh, wonderful event. We had a wedding here yesterday of a couple that got married by a justice of a peace uh, 28 year, almost 28 years ago, and she wanted to have the wedding she always wanted, and they did. This was Danny Mignon's youngest brother, and so we had a great time yesterday. I'm sorry I got to miss the party last night. Uh, so if you see bloodshot eyes out of this group here, you will understand why uh, <laughs> this morning, but uh, had a great time. And then I just need to find out if, if after church somebody knows, uh, uh, I don't know, where I can get something. I have not had any sense of smell or taste in two weeks. That's a good thing or a bad thing. I can change my daughter's diapers, anybody's diapers, and it doesn't matter. I, I, you know, it just does nothing phase me. I can't taste or smell, and it's, uh, I don't know, there's something going on. But anyway, I don't know if it has to do with this bronchitis I've gotten over or what, but it's no fun, I'll tell you that. Before we get started, let's bow in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, as we come to the most important part of this service, pray that we'll put aside everything that we've brought into our minds into this church, and once again, God, help us to focus on you this morning. Give me the words that you would have me to say. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. This morning, I'm going to give you my tribute to a friend. His name was William Harold Barker. Sat right back there with Gertrude, Virginia, Many of you saw him, many of you got to know him, many of you liked him like I did. Billy was born on February 13, 1953. He died just before Thanksgiving of this year on November 20, 2016, at the age of 63. When I first met Billy... He was wanting and trying to get some identification. I would walk from my house all the way around Pepper Park down here and go back, and I would pass him a couple of times each time I would walk. And so consequently, throughout those walkings, uh, we would carry on and get on some conversations. And at the time, he did not know who I, or who I was or what I did. He just simply asked, I need to get some form of identification so I can get my Social Security and food stamps and a bus pass. And so I told him I would be glad to help, and we started the process. He told me that he was born in Cape May, New Jersey. So eventually I got in touch with the vital statistics in New Jersey and received a letter back a few months later, you know how the government works, stating that they had no record of a William Barker born in not just Cape May, New Jersey, but in New Jersey period during that time frame. And without that certificate, I had nothing more to go on to get his ID. There's nothing I could do. So then it dawned on me one time, I go, yeah, let me ask and see where he went to high school, because they have to have transcripts. So I, the next time I saw him, I asked him where he went to high school, and he said, I went to right down here, Douglas MacArthur from 1968 to 1970. So I submitted a letter requesting the transcript, and, and that takes time because they, 
won't just let me do it. Uh, I had to get him involved and in, in sign things and write things himself, and that was a task in, in and of itself. But we finally got the transcripts back. And when I got the transcripts back, I noticed a couple of things. First of all, I noticed what his dad's occupation was. His dad was a plumber. And so I'd ask him, I said, why in the world did he didn't go into that, that profession? He goes, I just didn't like it. And so I said, oh, that's fine. And then I saw something very important on that documentation. It stated where he was born. He was born in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. That was a long way from Cape May, New Jersey. And so I then requested uh, from the Vital Statistics of Pennsylvania to get a birth certificate. And a few months later, we received that birth certificate. And so I was able to finally get his identification card, which got him his Social Security, which got him his bus pass, which also got him his food stamps. And after months, because this process was months of asking Bill and talking with Bill, and I kept asking him to come to church. And finally, after we had gotten all this stuff, he just, I think he wanted to find out if I was legitimate or not. And he said, I'll come to church with you, and it was Easter Sunday 2015 coming up. He says, I will come to church with you if I can get a shower. And I said, you know what? We have a recreation center over here. We've got showers in our recreation center. I will pick you up in my truck at 7 o'clock a.m., and you can come and you can get a nice hot shower. And he didn't have any clothes. He only had the clothes on his back. So that Saturday, I went and got him some clothes. Sunday morning, he got a shower. Put on, yeah, gave him those clothes. He put them on, and he came into church for the very first time on that Sunday morning. And I know that he got a lot of looks because, you know, when somebody different comes into a church, everybody has a tendency of looking. Oh, man, look at that person. You know, but he was, he was a different kind of guy. He was a character and I loved him dearly. And so he got a shower and he came almost every Sunday after that. Our conversations as we would talk on the phone, usually several times during the day because he had nothing better to do. And somehow he got one of those Obama phones and he just kept calling me and calling me and calling me, which I did not mind. Sometimes it was inconvenient, but that's okay. If you knew Bill, he never called you at a convenient time. It was always an inconvenient time. But our conversations would eventually and occasionally get on to spiritual matters, and specifically about his salvation. And he told me once that he was saved and baptized right over here at Stanton Memorial Church, right, you know, 119th Street, back in, he thought, was like September of 1993. So I had to check on it. A lot of times I just didn't believe everything he said because he would, you, you would have to take what he said, multiply it by 20, and then subtract 300 from it, and then you would get the ballpark answer. So I called that church, and sure enough, on September 12, 1993, he and his wife got saved, baptized, and joined their church through baptism that Sunday. And I, I thought that was remarkable because he was right there at that. He remembered it at that specific time. But as most of you know, and if you knew Bill, he led a very hard life. And most of that life was living here in the North Miami area. He actually showed me the house that he and his wife had together right over here a few blocks on 12th Avenue. But his drug and alcohol addictions finally led him to be homeless. 
and on the streets. Although he tried to get off of them, he never did. He would always tell me, and if you knew him, you knew this statement well, and I'm reading it correctly. He would always say, I smoke my beer and I drink my cigarettes. That was Bill. Throughout the two plus years that I really got to know him, it was a pleasure to be able to help him whenever I could. Giving him showers on Sunday morning or late Saturday night, he never wanted to come into this church smelling. Feeding him with whatever food our family may have eaten that night for dinner and I would walk it up to him. And he was always so appreciative. He never asked me for money, never did. And everything I would do for him, he was very appreciative of. We invited him on, uh, to Thanksgiving to have this dinner. This is the picture from that Thanksgiving meal um, back in 2015. And he would have joined us for Thanksgiving of this year had he not passed away on that Monday before. In fact, I have on my phone the Saturday night conversation that he had called me on that Saturday night. And he was always loving to hear the voicemail because if you listen to my voicemail on my cell phone, I have my girls and I always, you know, they're laughing in the background and I say, I'm sorry, I'm busy being a dad right now. Just leave your name and number and I'll get back with you. And he always loved to hear that message. He'd always tell me, don't answer the phone. I want to listen to your message. <laughs> so I quit answering the phone. I told him I would call him right back. And so he listened to the, the message and he left me a nice voicemail. I still have it. And he wanted to get this, you know, come in and pick me up the next morning. Let me get a shower. I'm ready to go to church. And then Sunday morning, this, that was like late Saturday night, Sunday morning, he called me up and said, I'm not feeling that good. I think I need to call 911. And I said, well, if you're not feeling good, Bill, you need to do that. And then he called while we were having church here. And uh, the message was remarkable. He goes, I'm throwing up. I can't stand up. I'm not feeling well. I'm calling 911. And he called 911, and they evidently came and got him. And I went up on Monday uh, to the hospital. And I told him who I was, pastor of Northwest Baptist Church, and the and, uh, person that I had been in close contact with is up here. In fact, I'm his power of, of attorney. He gave me power of attorney authorization. And they uh, said, well, Mr. Chase, Bill passed away at 1 o'clock this morning, or a little after midnight this morning. And the medical examiner came and got his body. And so they have, the government has to go through a lot of process, especially for a homeless person. And so they had to find his wife, who he had divorced, uh, or she divorced him several years ago, and try to locate his son. And they did that. It took months, again, government work, but months to try to find them, and they did, and she wanted, and he and the son wanted nothing to do with him. And so when I found that out, the medical examiner called me back and said, listen, if you would like to have his remains, um, I'll give you a place. You can, he wanted to be cremated, and then he wanted his ashes to be thrown in the, sea, in the uh, Atlantic Ocean out here. And so we were able, as our church, through our benevolent fund that you graciously give to while we have our Lord's Supper, we were able to, to do that in honor of Bill. And so we had his remains cremated, and we had a nice memorial service. And one of his friends that always would hire him every so often, Eddie, down here at M&M Upholstery. Uh, if you ever go to and do anything at M&M Upholstery, the owner is Eddie, and a Jewish man. And 
he said, I want to take him, his remains out on the boat, and I want to uh, release them if you don't mind. And so I gave him the remains, and he's going to call me up when he, because I told him I want to go when you do that. And so I got to thinking, what a sad way to end your life. Alone. No one around. But you know what? Got me thinking of a verse in Matthew 25. Beginning of verse number 31, the Bible says, When the Son of Man comes in all of his glory and all the holy angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory and all the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate them one from another as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. And he will set the sheep on his right hand and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right hand, Come, you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundations of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you took me in. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you and thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you, uh, and when did we see you a stranger and take you in and naked and clothe you or sick and come to you? And the king will answer and say to, to them, Assuredly, I say unto you, inasmuch as you did it unto the one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it unto me. The fact of the matter is that all of us in this room are just like Bill. We are sinners in need of a Savior. We are, in, we are nothing more than homeless people looking for someone to save us from our misery. However, most of the time, we don't see ourselves this way. Pastor Andrew, after hearing the memorial service, sent me a powerful quote from John Stott this week. It's from his book called The Message of Galatians. And it says this, the truth is that we are not something, we are nothing. Is this an exaggeration? Not when the Holy Spirit has opened our eyes to see ourselves as we are rebels against the God who made us in his image, deserving nothing at his hand but destruction. When we realize and remember this, we shall not compare ourselves favorably with other people, nor shall we decline to serve them or bear their burdens. I mentioned earlier that Bill had received Christ as his Savior on September 12, 1993. And there is absolutely no way that I will ever dispute that. God only knows. However, I can say without a shadow of a doubt that when I saw Bill, I saw just how much God's grace really means. God's unmerited favor towards us. There is a song that I really love by Matt Redman entitled, Grace Wins. And I want you to listen to some of the lyrics from that song. It says, here comes those whispers in my ear saying, who do you think you are? Looks like you're on your own from here because grace could never reach that far. There is a war between guilt and grace and they're fighting for a sacred place. But I'm living proof grace wins every time. For the prodigal son, grace wins. For the woman at the well, grace wins. For the blind and the beggar, grace wins. For the lost out on the street, grace wins. 
for the worst part of you and me, grace wins. For the thief on the cross, grace wins. You realize the thief lived a horrible life. And Jesus turned to him and said, today you're going to be with me in paradise. For the world that is lost, grace wins every time. The point I'm trying to make to you is though no matter what you have done in your life, no matter how bad you think you are, Jesus Christ gave his life for you. We all know what kind of life that Bill led, at least those of us that knew him, those of you that knew him. And I'm not going to ever sugarcoat it. But the grace of God is greater than all of Bill's sins, all of your sins, and all of my sins combined. I want you to understand something this morning, that God's plan for you is the same for all mankind. And that is, it's a relationship between us and an infinite sovereign God. Isaiah 64, 5 says, You will help all who gladly obey and do what you want, but sin makes you angry. Only by your help can we ever be saved. What does sin do? It separates us from our presence, fellowship, and relationship to God. Even those things which appear to us as good works cannot bring us into the presence of a holy and just God. The Bible tells us clearly that if we die without Christ, we will be separated from God for all eternity, destined to spend it at the place prepared for the devil and his angels, according to Matthew 25, 41. No matter what we do, we cannot build up enough good works that will suffice or please God when we ignore his moral principles because it's only through grace, it's only through grace and by grace, through faith, that we can be saved. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says, for it is by grace that you have been saved, through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, lest any man should boast. Because if it is by works, when we get to heaven, it would all be, oh, look at what I did, look at what I did, look at it all, it would be all about me, 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 me. And it's not about me. It's what Christ did on the cross of Calvary, dying for our sins. So it's not about us, it's about him. But what is faith? The prophet Isaiah puts it this way in Isaiah 26, 3, you will keep in perfect peace all those who trust in you. Faith is trust. Trusting in the actions and desires of God Almighty. Many people would say that they have faith, but if they were to ask today, so if you had faith, most of you wouldn't talk about faith, you would talk about your works and actions that you have done rather than to talk about your faith. And yes, I know what James 2.18 says. It says that I will show you my faith by my works. And that's the way as a Christian you should live. It's through your works, through Christ, but you've given God the glory. It's nothing about you. Remember that. But then you would say, listen, I've done this or I've done that, and I've given all this to the church. I've helped out some people. I've given to the homeless people on every corner that I see here in South Florida. Look at all the good works that I have done, and you pat yourself on the back. Look at what I have done. But listen, folks, 
Salvation can only come through atoning for our sins. In other words, it has to be a sacrifice, specifically a blood sacrifice. God's method of salvation has never changed. God chose to accept the substitution to die in our place. But it must come in the form of a broken heart for all the sins that we have done. David says in Psalm 51, 17, the sacrifice you desire is a broken spirit. You will not reject a broken and repentant heart, O God. And that's how we have to come to God Almighty. Believers today are redeemed through the same system that was given to Israel in the past, which was a substitutionary blood sacrifice from a perfect, unblemished lamb. Sacrifices had to be without spot or blemish. In other words, they had to be perfect. Listen to the prophet Isaiah describe God's sacrificial lamb, Jesus Christ. It's found in Isaiah 53, beginning in verse 2. There was nothing, more, nothing beautiful or majestic about his appearance, nothing to attract him to us. He was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows, acquainted with the deepest grief. We turned our backs on him and looked the other way. He was despised and we did not care, yet it was our, weakness, yet it was our weaknesses he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. And we thought his troubles were punishment from God, a punishment for his own sins. But he was pierced for our rebellion. He was crushed for our sins. He was beaten so that we would, could be whole. He was whipped so that you and I could be healed. All of us like sheep have strayed away. We have left God's path to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. He was oppressed and treated harshly yet he never said a word. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep is silent before the shears, he did not open his mouth. Unjustly condemned, he was led away. No one cared that he died without descendants, that his life was cut short in midstream, but he was struck down from the rebellion of my people. He had done no wrong and had never deceived anyone, but he was buried like a criminal. He was put in a rich man's grave, and it was the Lord's good plan to crush him and cause him grief. And when his life was made an offering for sin, he will have many descendants. He will enjoy a long life, and the Lord's good plan will prosper in his hand. In the New Testament, the Apostle Paul, a Jew himself, a Pharisee, a scholar of the Old Testament, said this in Philippians 3, 4, and 7. Though I could have confidence in my own effort, if anyone could, in, could Indeed, if, any other, if others have reason for confidence in their own efforts, I even more. Paul brags about himself. I was circumcised when I was eight days old. I am a pure-blooded citizen of Israel and a member of the tribe of Benjamin, a real Hebrew if there ever was one. I was a member of the Pharisees who demanded the strictest obedience to the Jewish law. I was so zealous that I harshly persecuted the church and as for righteousness, I obeyed the law without fault. But then listen to what he says. I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider themselves worthless for what Christ has done. Yes, everything is worthless with com when compared to the infinite value of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord. And then Paul said in Galatians 1.13, you know what I was like when I followed the Jewish religion? 
how I violently persecuted God's church. I did my best to destroy it. I was far ahead of my fellow Jews in the zeal for their traditions of my ancestors. But even before I was born, God chose me and called me by his marvelous grace. The Apostle Paul even called himself the chief among sinners. That there was no one that could have done worse because of his persecution of the church. But then Paul summed it up this way in 2 Corinthians 5.21. For God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sins, so that we could be made right with God through Christ. We do not have to view God's salvation two different ways. The Old Testament is just as clear as the New Testament when presenting itself with the, the way of redemption and salvation. Israel looked back to the coming of the sacrificial Messiah. And today, I mean, they look forward to the sacrificial Messiah. And today, we look back in faith to the finished work of redemption of Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary. God's Son came to this earth to exchange his life for every one of us. All we have to do is place our faith in him and ask God's forgiveness for our sin. Bill did that on September 12, 1993. I did it on October 26, 1965. question I ask you today is, what was your day or what will be your day? Praise God that he accepts both Jew and Gentile on the basis of their faith through the death, burial, and resurrection of his son, Jesus Christ, as our substitutionary sacrifice. Jesus paid it all on the cross of Calvary. He lived a perfect, sinless life. He died for your sins and he died for my sins. He was buried and, praise God, arose from the dead. Jesus Christ was God's gift to us, according to John chapter 3 and verse 16, the most well-known verse in the entire Bible. And as you may know, there are only two things that you can do with a gift. You can either accept it or you can reject it. That's the only two things you can do with a gift. There were many times that I would give Bill something out of the goodness of my heart. And no one else knew about it. No, I don't, didn't brag on it or anything. I would just give it to him. And then there, there would be times and Bill would say, here, Dave, let's see. I panhandled it. I got a dollar here. Let me give you a dollar for it. And I said, Bill, if you gave me a dollar for that, it's not a gift anymore. You have done something for it. And there would be many times that he would not understand what a gift really was. He always thought that he had to do something for that. And I said, Bill, no, it's a gift. It's a wonderful gift that I've given you. Allow me to have that and give that gift to you. And he did. And God has given us a gift, his son. And there's only two things that you're going to do with that gift. You and I will either accept that gift of salvation or we're going to reject that gift of salvation. There is nothing you can do. And the greatest lie of the devil is, you have plenty of time. Don't worry about it. You have plenty of time. I was meeting with Sam, the gentleman that prayed this morning, and he told us a story about just a few, maybe weeks ago, maybe months ago. I can't remember the exact time frame. Talking about life insurance. He said, the youngest one that we've dealt out, and the youngest funeral I've been to now is a four-year-old little girl. 
You see, folks, you don't know what tomorrow holds. James 4.14 says, what is your life? It's even a vapor that's here for a little time, and then it's gone. It's gone. Most of the children in this room think it's forever and eternity from Christmas to Christmas. They think it's eternity just to go to one day of school. But those of us that have been around a while, our minds go back. You can picture yourself in, high, in elementary school, middle school, high school, college. You blink. Your children have grown up. They've married. They have children of their own. They've grown up. They have children of their own. And you look back and you go, where has the time gone? I hate to admit it, I got more time, uh, more time behind me than I do in front of me now. I don't want to think about that. I still have a lot to do. I was asked this week, when are you going to retire? And I give the same answer that I give everybody else, the day I die. That'll be the day I retire. Because you know what? I've got a lot to do. But there was nothing greater than October 26, 1965, when I accepted Christ as my personal Lord and Savior. He's given you a gift. Many of you have accepted it. Some of you have not yet. My question to you this morning, what will you do with God's gift to you? Will you, will you accept it or will you reject it? Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, God, you only know the hearts of these people. I hope I gave across the message that you would have them hear. Because, Lord, there is nothing, nothing more important than knowing you as our personal Lord and Savior and living our lives for you. God, we're not perfect. Far from it. In fact, we sin every day but we try to live our best for you. I pray for those in this auditorium this morning that have accepted you, that may not be living for you as they should. May you convict their hearts today. And then those in this auditorium this morning that may have not ever accepted you as their personal Lord and Savior, they've thought about it. They've thought about maybe what would happen to them if they were to die. And God, we have the answer for them. And I pray that they will accept you as their own personal Lord and Savior. With our head bowed and eyes closed, if you've never accepted Christ as your Savior, I'm going to be down front. And I would love to take the opportunity to show you how you can accept God's wonderful gift. And I just want those of you sitting in the pew right now that maybe you're not living the way you should, just simply ask God right now to forgive you of the sins that you've done and help you to live a better life for him. And I hope that you will do that. Father, give us the courage to live for you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.